Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hancock. I'm delighted to be joined by my very good friends, Meg John Barker and Alex Ian Taffy. So hello, Meg John. Hi. Hello, Alex. Hi. Here we go. We're back. We're all back so good to be here. Great. I know. <laughs> Eagle in listeners will know, obviously, Meg John's uh, and I was the show and now we're Culture Sex Relationships. And also Alex has been on a few times before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've only done one like with all of us together haven't we two two was it two we've done two yeah 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 uh today we're talking about their very excellent book hell yeah self-care hell yeah self-care with an exclamation point so maybe you should how how would you say it meg john how do you say it with the exclamation how do you exclaim it hell yeah self-care okay I think. Alex? <laughs> see i would say hell yeah self-care I'll just go hell yeah self-care in my just very you know dull that's way more British Justin you know me I'm always like excited elated like you know uh, stiff upper lip you know uh, emotionless uh, keep calm and carry on Justin it's a real thing I've been married to a Brit for like 20 years that's real we don't put it on I think it's just we don't know how to do anything else, probably. Um, okay, so um, I've literally just read their book, and they wrote the book uh, over a year ago. So I probably were just discussing that I might have remembered more of this than they have, literally, because I just read it. But uh, it's, a, it's an excellent book. Basically, it's uh, dear listener, it is a workbook. So there's lots of like really useful thoughts and advice to take away, but it's not like telling you what self self care is and how you should do it it's not telling you a set practice you should always do it's inviting you gently to uh work along with the authors with um some really interesting challenging uh, critical ways of thinking about your relationship to yourself your relationship to your feelings your relationship to trauma your relationship to your values um the importance of uh being slow gentle the idea of enough and being consensual with ourselves, whilst also being also critical about what the self means and how the self is uh, interconnected with lots of other selves, i.e. the communities that we're in, the relationships that we're in, as well as the the idea of having plural selves and that we all have various aspects of ourselves that we we uh, may view in, in various ways as being, being plural and how helpful that might be. So that's like a brief overall uh, <laughs> Thank view you. of the book. It's excellent. Also, there are lots and lots of activities, lots of things where it is one of these books where it would be good if you got, I think it'd be good if you got a hard copy and, you know, uh, a nice pencil, a pencil sharpener or something or a mechanical pencil, because it is very much like, okay, on the next page, it would really benefit you from jotting things down or you suggest um, lots of creative and artistic ways to engage with it as well, like making playlists, uh, doing collages, drawings, um, that kind of thing. So, um, so excellent book. Who's it published by? Jessica. Is it Jessica, Jessica Kingsley? Yeah. Yes. A, a friend of mine is looking at it at the moment, and they said it felt really playful, which I liked because yeah. I was never quite sure. Yeah, I'm never quite sure about workbook because it sounds quite like homework and hard. Mm-hmm. But they said they were finding it you know, quite like friendly and playful to work, to work their way through or play their way through. And that, yeah. I hope that's how it lands with people rather than, mm-hmm. you know, like hard work. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. as, a, 
uh, all of the work that uh, you do together it is um, it's challenging and playful. It's not you know it's not silly and trivial. You know that's mm. the yeah. you want it to be like you want it to be playful and also like there's a potential for this to be you know quite transformative. Which is I think it's like really let's be, yeah let's be playful while I'm doing capitalism while we think about self care. That's kind of how we roll. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> well, you mentioned the c word first, Alex. So let's talk about it. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the worst c word there is yeah. <laughs> absolutely um so the the first thing that we'll chat about is is one of the first things that you kind of that you you tackle head on in the book and you even talk about your ambivalence around writing a self-care workbook which i thought was like wow this is really clever it's can we can you talk to us a bit about some of the criticisms that people have about self-care and the ideas of self that those that those criticisms are based on and what it is that you were trying to do around that and how you were tackling those criticisms. Mm-hmm. Well, self-care has become a word that's kind of used in so many ways by so many people, right? And some Personally, I'm not necessarily going to address all the hundreds of ways in which has been criticized, but let's just start by how broad an umbrella it's become, right? And then it's kind of become co-opted, I think, from this kind of wellness movement that really center the self uh, and this idea that there is a unified self, but also this idea of the individual over the collective, which I think it's one of the criticisms that is sometimes moved. And so the self-care industry is usually pretty white, pretty cisgender, uh, pretty middle to upper class, right? Um, and really problematic, uh, you know, doesn't often pretty abled as well, doesn't really acknowledge all the ways in which, you know, uh, white supremacy and Christian supremacy and kind of Protestant ethics, for example, where, where I'm located right now, um, and ableism and cisgenderism, you know, and racism and all of those things, how they impact our capacity to take care of ourselves and to take care of one another. And also kind of takes this idea of self-care as this is just something that we do for us because we deserve it, right? Rather than we take care of ourselves because we're part of a community and part of our uh, job as adults is to take care of ourselves and one another in kind of mutual ways so that there is balance in our in our communities and so that we can also take care of children and elders in appropriate ways, right? All of that is kind of taken out um, of the dominant culture self-care kind of industry, let's call it, the self-care industrial complex, I guess we could talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the ambivalence. I don't think that either McDonald or I are really big into the idea of the self-care industrial complex. And yet there is this paradox where to be in community, to be um, kind of an adult, we need to know out do we take care of ourselves so that we can keep showing up so we can keep being present mm. to whatever we need to be present to right whether it's taking care of our families uh, showing up in movements in community spaces and so on um, and it can be really challenging to do that in kind of this dominant context and under kind of capitalism under ongoing settler colonialism mm. where self-care is just seen just as another instrument so that we can be more productive right so we can do more so that we can produce more 
uh, in service to capitalism. And that's definitely not what we wanted to do with this book, that we wanted to resist that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also self-care is the word that everybody recognizes. So our publisher were, were like, yeah, we should use self-care. Because people recognize this because marketing. So I'm like, great, let's undo capitalism while also needing to sell books because we survive under capitalism. A low paradox. I don't know. Megan, <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And um, I guess it relates to something else we've talked about before, Justin, of that kind of um employers using it or organizations using it in this kind of sticking plaster way in a similar way that anti-racist training can sometimes be used or mindfulness or sexual harassment kind of having a sexual harassment expert or whatever it's like it's um the organization just brings in this one thing and says well you need to do this on top of what you're all already doing Mm -hmm. and it's like a one-off or it's just one person and that actually enables all of this systemic problem problematic stuff to just keep happening so it's almost like worse than having nothing and with self-care it's worse because it becomes something else that the employee has to do on top of what they're already having to do um and then then they're seen as an individual failure if they don't do it and it's really hard to escape that i think that's something we try to tackle a lot in the book is that it's so hard not to like weaponize self-care against yourself when you're being told by wider culture by your employer by education system or whatever that you should be doing it on top of everything else Mm. and that it should be this very individualized thing and that if you're still struggling at the end of that then you failed rather than recognizing that the system's broken and that you know this is actually part of a broken system that we would just add this on top of everything else rather than making a more um, sustained and systemic change. Yeah, you keep saying all the way, all, all the way through. Not, not to keep saying all the way through. In order, I'm not saying it's repetitive, but you, remi- you gently remind the reader all the way through that this should not be a stick with which to beat yourself with. And I think this is a thing that that self care is also used in this kind of um, like self monitoring way. This uh, are you doing enough self care? Are you doing the? Are you doing the work? in that way that an employer would kind of tell you well if you're stressed are you doing enough meditation have you installed Mm. a mindfulness app why not try out after work yoga why not try do even longer hours (laughs) oh absolutely and and here we're you know i'm located in the united states right now it's also used in a really not just self-monitoring but really uh kind of um punishment and reward way through the health insurance system. Right. You know, when I used to work for a large system that shall remain unnamed, which was quite oppressive, um, and I got health insurance through them, there would be all this wellness and self-care thing they if I did, I got points that would then make my health insurance cheaper. And not only is really messed up that I had to do that on top of my 60 to 80 hour week, um, you know, to get a discount on my healthcare, but it, it was also really ableist and really reinforced this notion that, oh, if I, you know, eat enough kale and walk enough steps, mm-hmm. I should be well. And where, especially at a time where my health was declining and I was trying to figure out what the health was going on with my, you know, with my health. And then I finally last year got my kind of diagnosis of a new disability, which explained, which I've had my whole life and explained why my body was, you know, kept crapping out basically. But there was this idea of like, well, are you doing your steps and are you drinking your water and are you eating like, um, you know, are you uh, doing portion control and eating the right foods? And 
it is very policing and almost patent then it's like well you must be lying if you're doing all things you're supposed to be well right which is the most ableist messed up thing ever um on top of assuming that you would have the energy and the time to do all those things when you're already working for a pretty oppressive mm-hmm. kind of large corporation like system mm-hmm. and th- throughout the book you situate uh the individual that you're you situate the reader within concentric circles uh, that mm-hmm. that surround them so there's the the self the the relationships the the the, the the people around that person and then the the uh the systems that they might be in like workplaces um uh colleges universities um communities geographical communities and then wider culture so you're making the point that you can't take that individual and put it outside of of that i think what a lot of what a what um a lot of very capitalist self-care is doing is making the assumption that individuals can always overcome, can always be better, can succeed, and individuals are competing against other individuals for scarce resources in order to, in order to yeah. succeed. And this is very mm. much not that. This is the antithesis <laughs> of that. And it's actually going back to the uh, the original, um, the term self-care um, comes from Audrey Lord's work, doesn't it? Do you want to talk us through, you read Centre Audrey Lord's work and the, and the work oh. of... Um, black feminism uh, 1970s mm-hmm. and this more generally but can you and you you refer back to Audre law but do you want to say, say a little bit more about that and um mm. it kind of comes from initially yeah do, do you want to start alex oh i was gonna say do you, wanna start? <laughs> do you want to start do i want to start i don't know <laughs> we shall start <laughs> go for it well i think that We've said this in other books too, but I I know that we both really um, try to kind of um, be very explicit about how much our work owes to black feminism and black scholarship and how many contributions, you know, uh, come from black feminism and then are sometimes kind of co-opted and whitewashed. And so, you know, hopefully we don't do that. Hopefully we're very explicit when we say, this is where this idea comes from. This is where this concept comes from. And really, um, and I think you started doing that because in some ways this workbook, MacJohn was like a an offshoot of your zine and you talk mm-hmm. about your zine too. So I'm gonna kind of pass the, pass the, the mic on to you in a moment, but I think that's something we try to do in all our work to say we're not the first people to think about this concept. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there are other folks and it's usually black feminist scholars mm-hmm. who have had something to say about this. Mm-hmm. And and the, here is how we take this idea in some ways and how we've applied it to our lives and what's been useful for us and for our clients. And when talking about self-care, it is, I think, absolutely essential to talk about the revolutionary work of Audre Lorde, who really looks at self-care, not in this context of like the self outside of community or outside of the context, but really the capacity to be connected to kind of our creative life force and also as a mean of resistance to an oppressive system that literally um, did not um, see uh, black women and especially black queer women as worthy of care and love, right? And so really this is a way to kind of um, 
love ourselves that comes from a movement that has reclaimed the idea that we can, you know, we are deserving of care and love, even in a dominant culture that literally does not see us as fully human. And that's where that kind of work originates from. Um, and of course, then, you know, we, uh, we relate to it. I think another one I speak for you, McJohn, but I relate to it as somebody who's like, you know, uh, who has white skin and who has lived in a lot of Anglo, Anglo countries and who's like um, trans and disabled and, uh, you know, and queer and have my own identities that are different from the identities of um, of other Lord identities and also the audience that she sp was speaking to, right? Mm. And yet her work as so much of the great works, right, speaks to us beyond that kind of immediate audience that she was addressing. And I, I think, um, yeah, that's kind of some of the things I'm thinking about when I think mm. about that right now. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I guess the, the quote we were jumping off is that kind of famous one of self-care being a political yes. act. And I think that from what I understand, what she what Audre Lord meant by that was the sense of that um if we're if our bodies and our lives and our labor is treated as far less valuable than others and we're able to survive then that is in itself an act of resistance um mm -hmm. so there's one piece about self-care in the places that we're marginalized I think being really vital because you know well self-care and collective care but yeah learning how to have um communities where we where we support each other to care for ourselves and each other means that we survive in a world that kind of doesn't want us to survive um, maybe actively doesn't want us to survive or at least wants to make it very difficult sure. for us in the, those places we're marginalized but I always think it's sort of vital in the areas we're more privileged as well because we need to care for ourselves enough to be able to hear about the injustices in which we're implicated mm -hmm. um, and actually that's that's incredibly hard to hear often people are incredibly discomforted by that and don't want to hear it and self-care for me as well is about being able to stay with that discomfort you know again the podcast that we've done just in around mm -hmm. anger and sadness and you know you need to be able to stay with difficult feelings mm -hmm. <laughs> both where you're marginalized and where you're realizing just how how hard your life has been because of injustice but also to recognize where you have got some privilege and where you might want to like act to change the world mm -hmm. again it, it helps it helps us to realize mm -hmm. that we don't as well have to be doing everything all of the time in this kind of capitalist way and it also helps us to be able to see where things do need doing out in the world world mm -hmm. and make those decisions about what can i offer mm -hmm. um you know what what's in my capacity what isn't so so in all kinds of ways it's kind of necessary for political action of all kinds um yeah. the more personal kind and the more um political the out there kind of political kind i think without it we're completely mm. screwed as well like we you mm. you literally yeah. can't you can't do anything with anyone unless you're paying any attention to uh self-care consent gentleness intentional mm. relationships thinking about capacity um if we're doing any kind of act activism or any kind of political kind of work no matter how big or small, if we're not paying attention to any of that, it's never going to succeed. It's, yeah. the, it's, it's the thing that it, it's more, it's this paying attention to process that I think uh, a lot of people don't really do. And, and you know, this kind of also accounts for burnout, I think as well. So mm. there is this kind of much bigger kind of um, sense that, you know, and we have to fight for a world that cares more for us all, more equally and that is kind of that is the bigger project that is the really comes out from your book 
Absolutely, and that that's the political act piece for me too. It's not only how we can show up to movements, but also if I care for myself in a world that tells me that I'm not deserving of care, I'm also stating that I deserve to have access to health care, I deserve to yeah. be paid a living wage if I'm working so that I can have a roof over my head mm -hmm. and I deserve, you know, education and food and all those kind of basic rights. And it, it is a statement around how unjust our systems are, right? Especially when systems are not allowing some of us to uh, really care for ourselves because it's impossible. It's kind of impossible mm. to kind of in some ways to consent to work under capitalism. It's kind of impossible to, um, you know, state I am worthy in a world that tells you, well, you should just be grateful for scraps mm. often, right? And mm. so that what becomes political is the pushback on those yeah. systems, right? No, you're telling me those things. I'm going to push back and I'm mm. going to say, actually, that I am deserving of those things. And for me to be meeting those needs, I need the system to change, um, you know, mm. and, and I think that's what gets lost sometimes when self-care is reduced to this, like, um, um, just this very individualized uh, act, um, which can also be self-care, right? That's mm. why I want to say that it's not, you know, a bubble bath can be self-care. <laughs> yeah but it's not the all of self-care, right? And yeah. it can actually be an incredible, powerful statement, but not in all contexts, right? Yes. Yeah. There is so much more to self-care than what I think is depicted to like, you know, sleep enough hours and drink enough waters. And let's assume you can do both of those things and, and still survive because you have enough privilege to do that, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, so it's so, the reason, so the the political aspect of this is that it is a it's it's both a statement about um, saying to the uh, unjust unequal structures that we're living in, hey, fuck you, I'm deserving of care, uh, and mm -hmm. so I'm going to do this for myself, and also my community is going to do it. Our community is going to do it for ourselves, but it's also an important process in in the bigger transformative projects of increasing. Of, of care for everyone like we 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 can't do any work with other people or with ourselves unless we're doing care mm -hmm. self-care um in another um i, I also interviewed uh, cassie thornton about her book the hologram which is um uh where a system where you get uh three people uh, to become like your expert panel kind of thing. And they kind mm. of uh, four times a year, they ask you about biological aspects of your health, psychological aspects of your social health. Your, and I pointed out biopsychosocial, something we talked about a lot. And um, it's non-reciprocal. So they help you, but you don't help them. You become part of somebody else's hologram. And mm. so the way she was talking about it was that, is that it becomes this giant um, conspiratorial fishing nets of care you know <sighs> a huge net cast throughout the world so i think looking at self-care and care for others in this way no matter how we kind of organize it it's an crucial it's a crucial part of the process it's an crucial crucial part of the project of transformation as well as it being uh uh an important thing in and of itself mm -hmm. I, I love that. It reminds me of one of my good friends and elder, Donald Angstrom Reese. Um, once we were talking about care and they really talked about how imbalance, you know, this idea of balance that sometimes is connected 
to self-care and they really talked about balance is not something that you reach individually but it's you reach it within a community mm -hmm. and so when you're talking about that it really reminds me of this kind of balance within a system uh, you know that is larger than ourselves whereas you know the the self-care kind of industry would help us think that being balanced within ourselves means that we have this perfect you know work-life balance and we mm -hmm. Know, and, and all of this, but actually balance is something that happens on a systemic mutual community level. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mm -hmm. just look like I give something to you, you give something to me, mm -hmm. because that's actually a direct exchange, whereas balance in community is much broader and also it includes uh, folks that who need to receive care from others, such as children and elders, which mm -hmm. also, um, uh, I don't think we talk about enough, uh, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and then, of course, all of us as well, even when we're adults, might have different needs because of uh, various abilities and disabilities that we might have. And so I think that idea of taking also balance out of the individual equation is so important. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, it's also an act of solidarity, isn't it? So doing self-care for yourself is as much acting in solidarity with other people because you mm. are increasing your capacity to support other people mm -hmm. as well. Like, Absolutely. The oxygen mask. Yeah, and I love that idea um, from Pema Chodron, who we mentioned a bit in the book, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, where she talks about these three kinds of compassion or care, which is the, the kind where you're looking after yourself in order to have any capacity, the kind where you're sort of alongside, you know, together in solidarity with others, you know, alongside one other, like caring for each other or helping each other care, and then the one where you have something to give to others, and it's more that. That's, and that's the standard one we think of. And she points out that we often think of that as like, that's the epitome of care. That's the best kind where you give of yourself for others. But she's much more like, these are all equally valuable. Mm -hmm. Like the, the people who try and do the number three without doing the number one, that's often the kind of savior syndrome and the mm -hmm. martyrdom that really doesn't help folks. It's like, it's knowing, it's that discernment is one of Alex's keywords. And it's mm -hmm. that discerning, you know, from, it's really challenging. You know, for me, this last year has been much about the first one of having to realize, gosh, super limited you know had to um, move from the podcast had to let let go quite a lot of the bits of work I was doing and it was really hard because I have so bought that cultural notion that the third one's the best kind but mm. managing to pull back and recognizing oh that's this is the time to do the really like inner focus stuff so that I can then hold relationships with others and the work I do better you know in future knowing when to pair back, knowing where to push forward, you know, and a lot of that alongside, I think that's that middle one gets missed a lot, but that's mm. perhaps the really key one where we really are alongside each other and really listening to each other. Um, and maybe like you say, Alex, that last one's more about, yeah, when, when people are, you know, re really can't care for themselves and they do need someone else to do it. But a lot of the time, the alongside model is more empowering for everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that for me is, and I even talk about this with uh, my therapy clients when it's appropriate, it's like when I notice I'm really irritated at everybody and I'm pretty harsh internally <laughs> towards everybody else, I'm probably being pretty harsh towards myself. Mm -hmm. Those have always been, it's like a red flag, right, for me. Those are always the times where I'm pushing myself beyond my capacity. So if I see other people not pushing beyond their capacity, then I get angry, right? Because I'm mm -hmm. pushing my capacity. Yeah. So why are you not pushing beyond your capacity, right? And, and it can... I can get quite 
irritable. I can get quite angry towards other folks. And I've seen that happen also towards me, right? In community uh. spaces or organizing spaces. If I move back or I need, I can't do this or I don't have the capacity to do that. I've seen that, other, that anger in other people. And I'm like, I, I know that. Mm -hmm. You're stretching yourself beyond capacity. So, of course, why am I not stretching myself beyond capacity, right? And I think also it becomes problematic if only certain people are allowed to move back, right? Yeah. And never never even get close to their capacity, let alone stretching beyond, right? And then it gets really, that's when we get to have complex and difficult conversations <laughs> with one another, I think, in community and organizing spaces and even families of like, okay, if, you know, what is happening here in terms of dynamics around power and privilege and capacity, mm -hmm. right? But instead, often we kind of go to this kind of, individualized bit of like i'm pushing myself really hard why are you not pushing yourself really mm -hmm. hard and then let's all sit down this all seems really unmanageable and bigger than us how do we address this together mm -hmm. right if that makes uh, sense yeah a lot of sense can we talk about the um the capacity and the the privilege bit of this because uh, i think it's really interesting there's a there's a good meme about this on twitter at the moment that uh, men would do literally this Men would literally learn. So the original one I saw was a uh, men will literally learn everything about the fall of the Roman Empire rather than go to therapy. Uh, and then there's like um, this has become a very amusing meme now. Uh, I don't, I, I've only just learned what a meme is like a year ago, and now here I am on a podcast saying. Uh, it's okay, it's Justin. I, I, I feel really old, and I still don't feel like I fully grasp what a meme is. But I've seen some funny ones, and I'm like. Oh, I guess that's what a meme is. I have a vague sense, but don't ask me to define it. Mm. <laughs> no. Apparently it's from the Greek mimesis to copy. But, Ooh. Uh, oh, no, I did not know that. No. Anyway, but um, <laughs> this thing, can we talk about the, um, I guess, uh, who, uh, who gets permission to care, who gets permission to do self-care and who doesn't, and the, uh, the uneven distribution of capacity for care generally, uh, but also like self-care and who does it. Um, mm. Yeah, because with the meme you're talking about, I suppose it alerts us to not, you know, there's one there's one problem here is that some people simply aren't going to have the time and energy um, because of everything they have to do in their life just to get mm. by. But there's also the sense that perhaps people at a high end of privilege, um, maybe there's, well, certainly with masculinity, there's definitely the yeah. idea that self-care is weak or you shouldn't get any support. or So that can lead to a lot of emotional labour being on other people around yeah. that person because they aren't doing the work they need to do to, like, to, to understand what their patterns are and how they affect other people or that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of talking about, like, the, there seems to be, like, two ends of a, of a, of a spectrum where some people mm. are just... Um, uh, so overworked and so inconstant and so and and then uh, having to be so fast and not kind to themselves and um, to be constantly moving and not treating themselves essentially in the service of doing caring work for other people or mm. in lieu of other people doing their care work and then other pe people at the other, other end of the spectrum who may not be doing enough care or not seeing that there's the importance of doing self-care and also wonder whether trauma response might come into this as well and the fall yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a great example of that. I remember once working with the, uh, so I was the only trans person working in this nameless organization. And <laughs> I tried to talk to 
uh, a cis colleague who was supposedly an ally who also uh, did work in this area and also whose job it was to oversee some of the services we provided to trans folks and I was trying to talk about um, how overwhelming and impactful the transphobia in my work environment was mm. and basically she turned around and go oh I can't even talk about it it's so overwhelming that I can't even talk about it with you right, right? and I very Ooh. angry in that moment <laughs> anybody recognizes themselves while listening to this well that happened so um <laughs> you know and it was um and that i think for me was the epitome of like uh, how unsafe the work environment was that any kind of uh oppression i was experiencing or and the energy that it took for me to even show up at work was so unacknowledged while also the labor that was required was always higher Right. Oh, as a trans person, can you do this presentation mm -hmm. or can you look over this material or can you basically do a piece of my job, which in some mm -hmm. ways was appropriate, but while also not being recognized in intangible ways. Um, right. And not just for my identity, but also kind of clinical experience and seniority in a lot of ways. Um, and so that I think that for me exemplifies that piece of capacity, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Okay, you can't even talk to me because you're so impacted by this thing that actually does not impact you directly. Mm -hmm. Sure, uh -huh. it impacts some maybe partners or friends or community members. It's not the same thing because uh -huh. it only affects me and my partners and community members and my work. Like, you know, when we're in a room all together and I'm the only trans provider and you're all cis and we're talking about trans folks in certain ways that are oppressive, the impact on my body is not going to be the same impact on your uh -huh. body. Yeah. And, and you it, know, to even, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. like, to like, even like appropriate that overwhelm. Yeah, sorry. No, no, I think it's really smart what you're saying about that double whammy because I've, yeah, I've heard um, people of colour saying that recently as well, that yeah. sense of like, on the one hand, you've got this extra thing of just dealing with all those microaggressions and sometimes not so micro day to day and, and holding space for other people who are, you know, struggling with it if you're a therapist or that kind of role. But then this other piece of people um, asking you for extra labor all the time, which they're not recognizing, often undervaluing or not even paying at all. And so that's all leading to this, you know, that you're just not going to have a lot of capacity to do self-care yeah. and then it's unacknowledged. Um, yeah. And sometimes feeling even more overwhelmed than the people directly impacted. And if we want to give the example of race, I've definitely mm. seen white folks being so overwhelmed by the pervasiveness of racism that they couldn't even possibly engage with their racist relatives or with mm. people with them. And while on one hand, I can have compassion as a human. On the other hand, I'm like, well, who's supposed to do this labor then, right? If Or, mm. or even white folks getting very angry. Sometimes people of color talks about appropriating anger, um, you know, about racism from communities of color. Of course, you know, all of us should be outraged. And if we're accomplices, we should only be invested in kind of racial justice and liberation and black liberation. But some of the kind of rage and anger in certain spaces, especially mixed spaces, it's really that is not the space where folks mm. of color want to witness that <laughs> from mm. white right in my experience and so that's where we get to have this really uh complex conversations where it's like it's not the feeling that's invalid you know feelings are always valid mm -hmm. and let's look at the context let's let's look at what's happening right mm -hmm. we're all impacted and we're impacted in different ways and so 
Um, and I think that's where it becomes key to also have different communities where we can do different pieces of the work, right? Yeah. And there is an appropriate place, you know, there is absolutely an appropriate place for white people to be heartbroken and cry and grieve around racism. That is not in mixed cases because already folks of color are holding all that grief and anger, right? And mm -hmm. so, and of course, we, we're human and it's not about not feeling those feelings, it's about knowing when to center and decenter ourselves. Mm -hmm. I guess as I'm talking about this, because I'm a verbal processor, I'm finally getting to the point, which is like, when do we center and decenter ourselves and this dance, mm -hmm. that community balance, right? And I think that taking care of ourselves means that we have the capacity to decenter ourselves right. when appropriate. Right. Um, yeah. When when we do that work, we have the capacity to be there to be to be up when someone needs us, and that's that's the solidarity piece, isn't it? Yes. So to be um, to be an ally to to any uh, person from an oppressed uh, community um, is to for you to have done the work for yourself, where you're not asking them to do the work for you, but where you can just step in. And and do acts of care for others because you've done that mm -hmm. act of care for yourself. And that mm -hmm. I guess um, there might be many reasons why people might avoid um, doing self care. Uh, that might be to do with their patterns, their relationship with themselves, their relationship mm -hmm. with care generally, what they've seen. In mm -hmm. So there is like a there's a piece here around um, identity and oppression, but there's also um, there are also many reasons that that don't directly relate to oppression where people might feel like they can't step up to do that kind of care if they grew up in an environment that was not caring, mm -hmm. they don't know what it looks like. Yeah. You know, their relationship to it might be very difficult. Absolutely. So well, you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned kind of, trauma before, yeah. yeah. So, so different trauma mm -hmm. patterns definitely impact this. Um, I think, um, you know, sort of, you said the four Fs and fawn, you know, mm -hmm. that's a hard one because you're very much tuned into pleasing others. Mm -hmm. Like that's the way you survived. Um, mm -hmm. So, so it's going to be, it's going to be easy to do the more martyring and self-sacrificing versions of um, care rather than really caring for yourself. And it, it's incredible. It feels very frightening um, even to sort of have boundaries and look after yourself. I think when you're when the fawn is a strong pattern, as it is for me, mm. um, and, and the other one that's familiar for me personally is flight, which mm -hmm. is that kind of stay busy no matter what. And and that's the one I guess Alex is referring to, where you can get quite self righteous about everyone <laughs> needing to you know everyone needing to burn themselves out and go far too far, you know. And it's just that's yeah, like it only feels safe if you kind of stay busy and keep doing things and keep mm -hmm. producing and performing all the time. Um, so I think you know for me, self a, a huge feature of self care is slowing down enough to notice these patterns, seeing how they impact others around you. And again, this is why it's so challenging because mm. when you stop and slow down and you see these patterns in yourself and how they have impacted you and others, there needs to be grief, you know, for, for what's mm. happened. There needs it's it's a hard thing to see in yourself. There needs to be so much kindness and gentleness around it mm. because you see things that are hard to see. Um I don't know if you want to mention anything more about the trauma piece, Alex, because you're definitely my kind of lighthouse on this one. Oh my God. I, well, I don't know about being here. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, probably because I feel like trauma work is like, that's what I do every day in my personal and professional life. Right. And, um, you know, fawning, which if people are not familiar, it's like that people pleasing for survival mm -hmm. can take so many forms. Right. And as somebody I've got both fawning and fight. And so I can move both between the 
okay, I'm doing so much, I'm caregiving, that's when it moves into the martyrdom. And then nobody can, I can get quite angry, like, why are people not caring for me? Why are people not meeting my needs, right? And it took me a long time to really look at those patterns and really look at kind of what is it that I'm doing, um, where I'm overstretching or overgiving. And <laughs> my, my teenager said something really smart uh, in, in the past year. She looks at me and she's like, just because somebody has a need doesn't mean you need to meet those needs. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, I'm glad I've taught you that. And I'm <laughs> learning that I was like, thank you for offering me back what I've taught you growing up, that you're not responsible for other people's needs and you get to choose what needs you can meet or not. And that also, of course, we don't just meet our own needs because that would make us completely self-centered, right? But the reality is that when we're doing that people pleasing for survival piece, we're not centering others, we're still centering ourselves. Yeah. And so when we when we stretch beyond our capacity, we're doing that because we don't know how to set those boundaries. And I say that as somebody who has had a really hard time saying no historically, and as who's really had to learn how to say no, and who's really had to learn that it's okay to not be liked by some people. It's okay for people not to like the fact that I have boundaries or that I have to say no, or that I'm at capacity or refuse to do certain pieces of labor and that people are going to have their own reactions to that. Um, and that is really hard work, but that is also the work of self-care, right? We often don't mm. talk about how so much of self-care is really actually boundary work. <laughs> Where are my yeah. Where are your boundaries? How can I challenge this binary that McJohn, you and I talk about in life isn't binary between self and other, right? Mm -hmm. we, the trauma, I think, locks us also into this relational patterns of either I meet my needs for my own survival or I meet your needs. And mm -hmm. there is not a, what are my needs, what are your needs, let's put them all on the table and let's see what's possible here. Because, you know, one of the main kind of trauma patterns, especially developmental trauma, is that all or nothing thinking. Mm -hmm. And then all or nothing doing, right? Is this or that? <laughs> or you yeah. it's right or wrong it's good or bad and it's so hard as well you know people can hear that and you know I remember when I was first hearing that and thinking oh yeah yeah but you can just be locked in that like what's right and wrong here for days for weeks of just like try you know knowing that that's what you're doing but that's what your trauma brain you know and it's like yeah yeah, interesting. Just, the, the, I love how you cover trauma early on in the book. I mean, all the way through, it's trauma-informed, mm -hmm. and it's even called a trauma-informed workbook. But trauma is kind of early on. In, I think I can't remember it's chapter four or five, but it's one of the it's one of the early chapters because you, I think you articulate there something where at the place where a lot of people get stuck, and the place where a lot of people think that self care begins and ends. Because I think that a lot of people think, well, self care is just the response to trauma, the four S, and in case we haven't covered them all, fight, flight, freeze, fall. People think that, okay, well, all self-care is, is you you recognize it, you get grounded, you do some grounding exercises, and then you kind of, and then you go back to your day, and then yeah. and then you just wait until the next time, and then, but you kind of, you say, well, this is a really important first piece, but then it's about really building in the more uh, reflective kind of self-care practices, the absolutely uh, recognizing when you're able to do that. So could we talk a little bit about um, how we might start to, in a trauma-informed way, once we've kind of understood uh, being in reactive mode and in and and in, in one of those four F modes, we talk about how we might start to. What are some of the activities that you have where we start to build in this kind of, I guess, more longer-term 
kind of mm. um, self-care kind of work? Longer term is right, Jason. Talk me, I love the, it. talk me through the cradle, because I love that. Oh, <laughs> oh I'll, let, I'll let Meg John talk about the cradle. I, I will just oh, yeah. bask in this idea of long-term, because sometimes when clients are like, how long, you know, how long am I going to be in therapy for? I was like, well, I don't know, but I've been in therapy for over 20 years. <laughs> a therapist, so, you know, not I mean, always with the same frequency, yeah. but, you know, this is definitely long-term work. <laughs> yeah. Seeing it as a lifelong journey is really wise. Again, I think the capitalist culture has such an idea of getting to places and getting resolution and getting the happily ever after. And it's just not, you know, that really does us a disservice because, that's that's not how this works <laughs> you know and that the the challenges that we have from our from our early years and from this wider culture that's the most impossible culture to actually do this stuff in yeah. like it's going to be a lifelong journey and, and, also, and we want people mm, buying your book so you know let's let's encourage people <laughs> Yeah. And, and but if you obviously if you read this book then you'll have it down you'll be, <laughs> be like self-care check so yeah. it's by the Done. book no, not Done. not really yeah. just just kidding I mean by the book but it's not going to yeah. be self-care check sorry but I, I think for, for me it's more this yeah I guess it is this cradle of kindness that we talk about it, yeah. it's more what you do around it it's like yeah. for me the the real massive difference and it's sort of like it it feels like when you get there like it's completely miles away from where you were but it's also only a centimeter away because it's not about doing your life completely differently or getting rid of all these patterns or it's much more about just the like an okayness around it mm. oh that's me doing my thing again I'm terrified because I've gone into fawn mode and you know now I'm gonna have to like spend a day or two unraveling that or a week or two and that's okay because you know that's where I'm at in my life and the you know, it's really hard to describe, but just having that instead of like, um, you know, a, a criticism around it, which is what you probably had before, where it was like that would happen and you just attack yourself, attack yourself and try and fix it for two weeks. It's more like, oh, this is just all right. What's happening? This happens to people. You know, this happens to people, particularly in our culture, particularly when we've had the lives that we've had. And it's like, so, so one of the, the, the cradle of kindness is the idea we, we have these kind of four aspects around self-care and it's slow gentle enough and consensual mm -hmm. um and I, I mean it was at this time last year justin that we did that podcast about slow and gentle right so yeah so the people can hopefully go back and listen to that but you know you can't do this work fast the uh, so I think one of the trauma books even says fast like fast is slow like the only yeah. way to do it fast is to go slow <laughs> um we have to be so gentle and kind with ourselves around it because it's incredibly hard to recognize these outer oppressive forces and the impact they've had on us and others and to recognize the inner things that have happened to us and the impact they've had um we have to have that sense yeah that we're enough as we are rather than it'd be better if we were where we were two years ago before one year ago before the pandemic or it'd be better if we were in this imaginary wise place we're going to be in 10 years time um and yeah consensual need i say more we talk about this all the time yeah <laughs> so we, we have to be yeah consensual with ourselves and others tuning into what it is that we might want and the ability to communicate that to someone else and how they can do the same with us yeah and the um, boundaries piece alex was just talking about comes in there as yeah. well yeah absolutely well, I hope you've enjoyed this show so far. To listen to the whole show, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. 
and sign up from as much as you can afford a month. In the rest of the episode, we talk about somatic self-care and also about how we've been coping throughout the lockdowns and how important self-care is during coronavirus. See you over there. Bye.